0: Thomas Moore, Monmouth, Central, and Mount St. Joseph are in the playoffs as we wrap up week nine of the Division Three football season. Welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman.
1: And I'm Keith McMillan.
0: And here are our podcasts for Monday, November 2nd, 2009. Keith, a uh, week nine in which it, it's about that time of year. Uh, teams clinch automatic bids. Uh, other teams are hoping that. Things happen in their favor Or things happen against the teams That they're uh, competing with For those at-large bids And of course there's a bunch of uh, conferences Still up for grabs 19 automatic bids yet to be awarded As we count down the uh, to the final two weeks Of the Division Three football season And Keith, uh, a handful of big upsets In the top Well, I guess in the top 13 of the top 25 poll
1: Yeah, the, the of course Marietta losing to, uh, uh, Excuse me, Otterbein losing to Marietta that was one of the big ones. Mississippi College losing to Howard Payne, uh, North Central losing in overtime to Illinois and now creates that uh, potential three-way tie situation in the CCIW. Pat, you mentioned it. You know, this is the season of uh, of upsets, of, of we're talking playoff bids, we're talking three-way ties. Now we have to start learning the different tiebreaker procedures in, in, in different conferences because it's, uh you know, when you get to week nine and week 10 and 11 coming up here, it's that time of year.
0: And in uh, some cases, we have to learn the names of backup quarterbacks. Uh, This past weekend, two of the teams that lost on Saturday lost their quarterback during the game. North Central's Aaron Fanthorpe went down, uh, and and his team eventually went down to Illinois Wesley in 28-22 in overtime. And Otterbein quarterback uh, Austin Schlosser went down as well, and his team lost to Marietta.
1: Yeah, and I think when you, when you look at that game though, you know, uh, Otterbein brought another sophomore in. Kyle Staunton came in and, uh, actually helped, uh, Otterbein regain the lead with, uh, just under three minutes left. And, uh, Marietta drove down and scored the winning touchdown to win that game 25-22. So, you, you know, sometimes you can point at the loss of, uh, of the quarterback as a factor in, in slowing down the offense or a factor in why a team didn't win the game. But you know, for in, in Otterbein's case they gave up four hundred and fifty six yards and uh when you lose your quarterback you really need to rally around him and, and play a little better on defense uh than uh than Otterbine did on Saturday.
0: Alfred and Delaware Valley both played with backup quarterbacks for the first time on Saturday. It just seems like there's been uh quarterback carnage throughout the uh the top twenty five and other contenders in uh, Division Three football this season, yeah, you get to this part of the season, Keith. As a backup quarterback, are you more prepared as the season goes along, or as the season goes along, is there more time and more attention given to the first string, and does a backup quarterback have less opportunity to improve?
1: I think it's probably less. You know, in the in most cases, once the season begins, the starters tend to get somewhere between seventy-five and and eighty of the reps you know a lot of teams will use um, they they alternate in practice all to, to try to maximize their time so they use the ones and twos so so both teams are getting equal amount of reps in uh, in certain parts of practice but I think the, the attention to detail. You know, when you're talking about uh, adjustments and audibles and and certain blitz packages, a lot of that stuff goes to the starting quarterback. And, and in terms of how teams deal with losing a starting quarterback, I think it really has to do with the quality of that backup. You know, if it's somebody who, who has developed or who has, uh, you know, been able to get some playing time in blowouts or they've been able to mix him in or, or someone they just feel real confident about in the future, then I think when, when that starter goes down, they're able to keep the the entire game plan in, and uh, and, and sort of keep things moving as uh, as they were. And I, I think we saw that with Otterbein. You know, when they lost Jack Rafferty, they brought in Austin Schlosser, and and didn't seem to really miss a beat. But but you know, when when they went deeper down the the quarterback ladder, and uh, you know, you start having to um, sometimes you have to tailor your game plan a little bit, maybe. Maybe reel it in, be a little more conservative, run the ball a little more, play that field position game, some you know punt, and, uh, and and lean on your defense a little bit. And and for some teams that works, and for some teams it doesn't work.
0: You talked about uh, Schlosser. The thing interesting I thought about uh, Otterbein, and I mentioned it on a podcast earlier this year, is that you know all off season Schlosser was basically preparing to be the guy. Rafferty had was you know had a year left of eligibility, but was. You know, I guess was talking about graduating. He's a guy who's been around a while. has got a family. Might not come back. So, you know, Otterbein was prepared to go without him. Uh, Similarly, this week, two of the teams, uh, two of the ranked teams that really excelled with their backup quarterbacks, uh, Alfred and Delaware Valley, uh, at least had you know the week to prepare those guys. They they knew that uh, that Isgro and Tommy Seki weren't going to play, respectively, for Delval and Alfred, and and the backups got a lot of playing time. Um, I look down the top 25, and I see uh, St. John's sitting there at number four with uh, Joe Boyle having re-aggravated his hand. They had a bye week this week to to, uh, to get their quarterback situation uh, handled and, and set for uh, their game against Augsburg this week. Is there? Is, you're talking about giving a guy one week versus giving a guy a couple minutes on the sidelines. I assume that has to make a big difference as well.
1: You know, and, and it doesn't just make a difference for that quarterback, but it makes a difference for the entire game plan. Are you, you know, especially if you have a, a couple of quarterbacks who have a different skill set, or uh, you know, specialize in, You know, one guy has a better arm for the deep ball, and one guy makes quicker decisions on short passes. You know, whatever the difference between the two quarterbacks may be, if you have that whole week to prepare, when when the coaching staff is putting in its game plan on uh, on Monday and Tuesday or developing it, um, you know, they're they're going to develop the plays that that the backup quarterback excels in in practice, and that's one thing that that coaches are watching for in practice what this backup quarterback does well because that's what what the team can lean on when uh when it comes time to put that guy in you know conversely when you have uh, and when it happens in the second quarter of a game or in the third quarter of a tight game I don't think a coaching staff has as much time to really stop and think about okay what plays do we run well when when the backup quarterback is in and you know that may be the, the the type of thing that uh you know that 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 really hurts a team. You know maybe like uh, like North Central, which lost Fanthorpe uh, during the game on Saturday.
0: So we can, uh, I'd say we can write off two of those losses, but we have some inkling of what might have happened in two of those games. The third one, uh, Mississippi College losing at home to Howard Payne, can't pin it on the uh, on the on the uh, starting quarterback going out. Although Adam Schaefer throwing five interceptions f- for the Choctaws uh, certainly had a lot to do with it. That's a that's the, for Mississippi College. These past few weeks, it's been a a pretty wide swing for them.
1: Yeah, you know the thing with them is if you if you were taking a note of their results since the beginning of the season, you know they gave up forty four, but beat Millsaps. You know, they gave up 55 in a, in a loss to NA, NAIA Cumberland. So, you know, we didn't think much of that game because it didn't affect their D3 playoff status. Gave up 34, but they beat Harden Simmons. Gave up 44 to beat Louisiana College. And we we were worried about their defense at that point. And then they had two weeks to prepare for Mary Harden Baylor and uh, and beat them 17-14. And then, you know, beat East Texas Baptist, held them to seven points the next week. So now we start to think maybe... They're getting their, uh, their defense together. And, uh, that really wasn't the case. You know, despite the seven turnovers, which, which probably meant Howard Payne had to, had a short field to work with, uh, a lot of the game on Saturday, they still rolled up 523 yards. And, you know, much of that was through the air, Pat, and and that's a contrast you can make with, with Mary Harden Baylor. One of the reasons maybe why, uh, why they were able to hold the uh, the Crusaders to to 14 points because they don't have that that damaging passing.
0: Yeah, uh, Howard Payne threw for 453 yards on Saturday night, 27 for 50 passing. You know, you, you had to know that the uh, that the passing offense was prolific for Howard Payne when the they have a guy in Zach Hubbard who broke one of Adam King's passing or total offense records a couple weeks prior.
1: Yeah, yeah, if you remember when Howard Payne had their their really good run there uh, a few years back. Adam King was was the quarterback that did it for them. And, and- And, you know, you just, as far as Mississippi College goes here, looking forward, you know, they're still in control of their own destiny in the American Southwest because of, uh, right now it's just, it's just a tie with them and Mary Harden Baylor at the top of the conference, five and one each. And, uh, obviously Mary, uh, Mississippi College is going to hold the tiebreaker, uh, in that situation. But, and they, they have to finish out with, uh, with Soul Ross and Texas Lutheran, which are a couple of teams that are, uh, two and six and, and oh and eight at this point. So, you know, if you're a Choctaw fan, you, you have to sort of let this one go and uh and, and get back, you know, to to just finish finishing strong and, and playing the way they play. And I, I think for them, you know, that defense has been a little worrisome all season. You look at the averages, they're scoring thirty seven points a game, but they're giving up thirty one points a game and they're really gonna have to tighten that up when they uh if they're able to to close out these last two games and get into the playoffs because they're gonna face good offense every week in the playoffs.
0: That is a long trip to Sulra State out on the uh, western stub of Texas. I know the panhandle's a different part, so somewhere out in the pan, out on the, uh, the the uh, the western edge of Texas for uh, a team from uh, Mississippi to make that trek all the way out there. One thing it does do is it's going to knock uh, Mississippi College a little bit further south in the south region rankings. They're going to be uh, probably setting up a game where if, if everybody wins out, the, uh, the, the rematch against Mary Harden-Baylor is a possibility as a 4-5 game. Uh, Huntington looking like they're pretty solid for a, a Pool B bid. Uh, they're a team that is within 500 miles of Mississippi College, so they could get busts there, which is what the NCAA loves to do uh, whenever possible. So they're still, they're, they're still probably even playing the same teams in the playoffs. Uh, they may have to go on the road to play uh, Mississippi College. Uh, if they end up playing Mary Harden Baylor, I suspect that would probably still be a home game because of the head to head. Of course, the uh, you know the regional rankings did come out for the first time this past week. and the West region, I thought uh, Keith, generated probably the the largest amount of conversation. Uh, with the way it shook out you know, we, we look in the, the north for example And, and Mount Union doesn't have and, and didn't this past week have the highest Strength of schedule but they were at the top of the north Region which you know is pretty much where they've Been in almost every ranking for about The past 15 years but you know Wisconsin Whitewater which has You know been to the stag bowl each Of the last four years you, you could Say that maybe they merit the same Kind of treatment to get that top spot In the region until somebody knocks them off and they were Number four instead
1: yeah, they did not get the benefit of the doubt. And, and certainly if you look at that West region group with, with five undefeated teams and, and a reason to believe in all five of them, those five teams being, uh, in, in order of the way they came down in last week's, uh, regional rankings, those, those teams are Linfield, Central, St. John's, Whitewater, and Monmouth. And yeah, most of us, of course, would expect Whitewater to be at the top of that list. You know, they, they didn't get the, the, uh, the benefit of the doubt, the subjective vote the uh, the anecdotal evidence, whatever you, you want to call it, uh, Pat, as you mentioned to me earlier, it, it sounded like the first regional ranking in the west was was pretty much based on strength of schedule
0: and strength of schedule changes a little bit this week, of course, uh, you know, one thing to note about strength of schedule is when the calculations are done, it only takes into account the teams you 've played so far, so you know, for example, this week, Linfield. Which came into last week, which with one of the best strength of schedule uh, numbers in the nation, uh, as as well as the best of that group in the in the West region, uh, they dip quite a bit, and not because you know their other six regional opponents did something uh, you know one way or the other this week, but the, by the fact that they played Puget Sound, which uh, comes into the week and now leaves the week at 0-7
1: yeah and and if this if this goes like we think it will pat there, there'll be some movement here in in the next couple of uh sets of regional rankings that come out it shouldn't be a situation of uh now that Linfield is first Central is second St. John's is third that as long as those three teams don't lose that whitewater is stuck in that fourth spot you know there's a lot of good comparison um between these these four teams surprisingly uh, actually a, a real good amount of, uh, of comparison because, you know, they all play in, in four different conferences in four different states and, uh, you know, quite a bit of distance between, let's say, Linfield and Whitewater, but they happen to have a common opponent in, uh, in, in Puget Sound and uh, and Central and Whitewater have a common opponent in, uh, in Wisconsin-Stevens Point. And in both of those cases, uh, Whitewater favors pretty well. So there's a chance for them to move up here in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, and it's really this weekend, this past weekend, in which uh, things kind of turned around a little bit for uh, for Whitewater in that in that sense. First of all, you know, by playing uh, Stevens Point, their own strength of schedule increases. They were down in the I think the four nineteen range or so for their opponents' winning percentage. Now they're up to four sixty six because uh, you know playing Stevens Point bumps that up a little bit. But you know, the other thing to keep in mind. Is they compare favorably, I think, first to Central uh, Stevens Point uh, lost to Central 22-21 to at Central So Central won by one point at home back in Week 2 And uh, Stevens Point lost to Whitewater 41-12 to uh, this past week at home So Whitewater beats Stevens Point by 29 on the road And Central beats Stevens Point by one point at home One other place to look is, uh, you mentioned Puget Sound Puget Sound, that game between uh, Puget Sound and Whitewater happened back on September 26th. It was a close game at the half, but Whitewater ended up blowing them out. 42-7 win at home for Whitewater. Puget Sound on Saturday uh, plays Linfield at Linfield and loses 54-36. An 18-point win at home for Linfield. You know, still a significant win, uh, and then a a complete and utter blowout 35-point win for Whitewater. The thing to keep in mind about... The way that the selection and ranking criteria are written is when you're comparing common opponents, the word that's listed in the in the guidelines is results. That doesn't mean winning percentage, you know, it, it doesn't mean you know those sorts of things. It, it it can mean these kind of subjective things which we're talking about, the fact that, you know, a one point win versus a blowout is a significant difference. You know, maybe an 18-point win versus a 35-point win is not a, a huge deal, but I think this the uh, the central comparison is pretty strong.
1: Yeah, and Pat, here's one reason why this all matters. You know, certainly it's a factor in, in getting, you know, all four of those teams we're talking about in the West, you know, likely to play a, a home game in the first round if they went out. And uh, that's tough news for, for Monmouth, which is a, a team that, you know, they're likely to finish ten and zero as well, and is going to maybe have to go on the road in the first round. But in the West region, these home these home field advantages are really serious home field advantages. When you talk about St. John's, you know one of the most you know the best places to play in Division three, uh, Perkins Stadium at Whitewater. You know they they fill that place. That's a big stadium. It's a big atmosphere on game day. Linfield is not an easy game uh, road trip for uh, for any of those teams, and uh, and you know Central. Is another place that's uh, you know not an easy place to play. You know, you go back to that that playoff game uh, a few years ago that Bethel played there when it snowed uh, in December, and uh, you know n- nothing easy about about playing at any of those those places. So when we talk about these regional rankings and giving us a little insight into the into the way the playoff rankings might shake out, this is these are the this is what it means. It, it means you know you get into the second maybe third round of the playoffs, assuming all these teams continue to win. It's going to make a big difference to somebody if they have to go to St. John's, or if they have to go to Whitewater, or if they have to get on a plane and travel out to Oregon to play Linfield in uh, in that final round of the playoffs. You know, it, it could really be uh, a big difference.
0: Over in the East, as far as the regional rankings are concerned, we uh, got uh, one head-to-head result, which was pretty useful uh, this weekend. Kane beating Rowan by three points at home in double overtime. You know, I'm the I'm the guy who's going to look at that on paper and say. Those teams are pretty are pretty darn even, but of course that head to head result is gonna loom pretty big in the regional rankings.
1: Yeah, and, and not only that, of course, it, it pretty much knocks Rowan out of the uh the playoff picture or at least the conference uh championship picture now with with Rowan picking up their second loss. Both uh Kane and Montclair State are uh, are unbeaten in the NJAC and have uh, one loss overall. So, you know, they they meet head to head in week eleven. I believe that game is at Kane. And uh, that's going to decide automatic qualifier. But and maybe we'll, we'll, you know, with both those teams also having one loss, could uh, could knock a team out of the pool C picture because right now, uh, it's a pretty tight tight group of uh, pool C teams. There's a there's a lot of them, and that means you know it's going to be tough for a two loss team to uh, to get a look.
0: And of course, there's uh, still the three MAC teams in uh, strong contention. They all uh, they all continued their runs on Saturday. Albright. Uh, was number one in the regional rankings. They won. They beat FDU Forum. Delaware Valley beat Kings with their backup quarterback on the road. That's a that was a, a pretty impressive victory in my mind. And you know, Lebanon Valley's sitting right there. And Lebanon Valley uh, uh, is one of those teams that uh, Albright has yet to face. Albright faces Delaware Valley and Lebanon Valley to close the season.
1: Yeah, and that's the big test for Albright. You know, you you look at their eight and zero record so far, and it's nice that they're at the top of the regional rankings. You know, especially if you're a fan of the Lions. But their big two games are the two games coming up. They have a couple of seven and one teams. You know, they're going to Delaware Valley, and then and then playing Lebanon Valley. And both of those teams hanging around. We got the potential still in uh, in the MAC for a three-way tie, or for uh, for Albright or Delaware Valley to uh, to win it outright.
0: I wonder if we might see a swap in the, uh, the top of the region rankings in the East this week as well. Albright's strength of schedule is going to take a nosedive. They're down to uh, 371 opponents winning percentage after uh, playing a, a one-win team this week. And, uh, and Alfred uh, is uh, at 500 in the uh, opponents winning percentage.
1: Well, we'll definitely see some movement, you know, this week after uh, Albright plays Delaware Valley, and uh, you know, it's actually interesting that that Delaware Valley is behind Albright now because uh, Delaware Valley, with that strength of schedule, remember they've they've uh, beaten Johns Hopkins, they've beaten Kane beaten Lebanon Valley already and their losses to Wesley that gives them the 10th best strength of schedule in uh, in division 3 and Albright's right now is at uh, at 208 so you know we talked about the west region being their their regional rankings being based so much on strength of schedule and yet you go over to the east region and you see Albright uh on top of Delaware Valley and uh we won't have to worry about that after they they play in week 10 but it's certainly a little uh it stands out a little bit uh when you consider what happened over in the west
0: Yeah, it also stands out, unfortunately, because the NCAA basically got the regional records wrong. The NCAA didn't seem to understand that uh, Delaware Valley-Wesley game is a regional game. Those teams are within 200 miles of each other, and Delaware Valley against Johns Hopkins is also a regional game. Those teams also within 200 miles. We sent the correction to the NCAA uh, in the middle of the week. Um, To be honest with you, if if I were doing those rankings and I had that information in front of me, I think... My results might have been a little bit different. I, I suspect that even Delaware Valley with a regional loss has played teams has, has played at least one team Wesley, that's better than anybody else in this uh, East regional ranking has played
1: and, and really, you can say Delaware Valley's played four teams better than Albright has played, and at least you know one or two better than, than Alfred has played, depending on how you feel about uh, about Springfield and uh, and St. John Fisher and so forth.
0: Uh, moving away from the regional rankings a little bit, I uh, wanted to talk about the, uh, the other upset, one we haven't talked about so far, and that is the, uh, the Thomas More Washington, and Jefferson game. And now, Keith, this is two years in a row Thomas More has <clears throat> upset, and I, you can, I don't know if you can hear the air quotes that I'm putting out there, um, W and J. Uh, it, it, it's one thing, I think, uh, to do it at home it's a it's a completely different thing to do it on the road and, and I, I'm kind of wondering about the changing of the guard a little bit here in the presidents athletic conference because now out of the last 5 years uh you WNJ know, has not won the conference title uh more often than it has won it
1: yeah and, and you know it kind of reminds us of a situation we saw uh Starting to take place a couple years ago, uh, in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. Remember, Bridgewater won that, that conference about six years in a row. And, uh, you know, they were one of the, the regulars in the South Region playoffs as, uh, as, uh, W&J has been. And, and then you start to see other teams come up in the, in the, uh, in that conference. And, you know, Thomas Moore, uh, now winning, winning the, uh, or, beating Washington Jefferson two years in a row. And, uh, yeah, and actually, you're right, they clinched, so they've they won the pack now uh, two years in a row. Does it signal a changing of the guard a little bit? Uh, we we you know we have to say yes and and part of the reason may be because of of that added competition in Western Pennsylvania in recruiting, you know you have uh, Seton Hill Division two program that that started up in the past few seasons Saint Vincent of course bringing in uh, you know big numbers each year as they start up their program and th- and that's a uh, that's a pack rival for both of those teams you know Geneva. Has been a program, of course, that's been in existence, coming over from the NAI to Division Three now recruiting the same type of kids that that W and J probably recruits, and then you have a big Division Two presence uh, in in Western Pennsylvania when you talk about you know California, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and you know that that whole conference right there, the uh, the PSAC, and and we don't want to get too. Too deep into Division Two for our fans of Division Three, but there's there's just a uh, a lot for for W and J to contend with. Whereas if if you go out uh, into Northern Kentucky, where Thomas Moore is recruiting from, you know as far as Division Three teams, you know it's basically that that Mount Saint Joseph from across the river, and uh, you know not too many other teams to uh, to contend with. And that's probably uh, one reason why why Thomas Moore is now making inroads against W and J in the pack.
0: And one thing about the 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 peace Act that. Kind of actually just occurred to me as you were describing all the other teams in the area is that that's a conference that recently uh started ramping up its scholarships it was uh, It was restricting its schools to just twenty four football scholarships rather than the division three maximum of thirty six and that uh that has changed they're offering more and more scholarships now that's going to take more kids away
1: yeah you're right that's that's the division two maximum of thirty six and uh, yeah you know anytime that you, you have a scholarship offer on the table and uh And then you have a Division Three school coming in with you know maybe grants and aid and and, and you know other kinds of loans and financial aid it, to try to make a competitive offer you know especially if it's a private Division three school you know the, where the tuition's going to be at least twenty thousand uh, it's going to make it a very, very difficult offer you know the thing about Division two uh of course with the 36 scholarships you know you need much more than than 36 football players so so those guys aren't giving out full scholarships but they are uh it, it does help and it does make the decision tough if uh, if you have to decide between a division 2 offer and and being recruited by a division 3 school
0: moving away from the playoff chase a little bit there it was uh there were certainly a lot of other interesting uh occurrences that happened on Saturday and actually on Friday this past weekend uh, First of all, uh, Maine Maritime uh, Just running the ball down Coast Guard's throat uh, 730 rushing yards and, and yeah, tack on 16 passing yards For 746 yards of total offense That in itself is a pretty big number uh, and, uh, and, uh, But 730 yards It's not only the Division Three rushing record It actually obliterated the single game rushing record By about 60 yards
1: Yeah, you remember uh, back in 2004, I believe it was, Olivet. Uh, when they were running uh, sort of a version of the wing T, uh, ran for 670 yards in a game, and 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 that was an eye-opening number. And uh, and now to see 730 rushing yards, you know, forget the 76 points, and, and and you know Coast Guard put up 49. Usually you figure you put up 49 points, you're in pretty good shape. But um, 730 rushing yards is uh, it's just that's just a, a monstrous total, and uh, certainly something that's deserving of recognition. And uh, you know, if I recall correctly. Isn't that the, the record, the single game record for uh, for passing? Uh, if we go back to Menlo, the the, the Nate Jackson, um, Zamir Amin years, didn't he throw for 730 yards in a game? So now we have the same. Uh, the, the 730 is, is the magic number, I guess, for uh, for passing and rushing.
0: Yeah, in fact, Keith, uh, if Maine Maritime had kneeled down three times at the end of the game to take their total from 733 to 730, they would have surpassed the 731 that Zamira Amin threw for Memo against Cal Lutheran. That's uh, October 7th, 2000. And uh, those three yards of negative rushing were the only three uh, negative rushing yards on the afternoon for Maine Maritime. They weren't stopped behind the line of scrimmage once except when they were kneeling down and just some of the individual numbers are are just mind-boggling Nick Barassa nine carries for 217 yards that's an average of 24.1 per carry Tyler Angel 20 carries for 186 yards uh, Jim Bauer 14 for 153 Todd Murphy nine for 106 those are the the four uh, the, the four leaders uh, throw in John Hussey three carries for 42 yards Matt Rendy, three carries for for 22. I, there was a. The, you have to get down to the, the the last guy at the bottom who was just just two carries for seven yards. Was the only guy who averaged under seven yards a rush for Maine Maritime on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and and guess that that's the offensive line that that gets team of the week this week.
0: You just might be right. Yeah, yeah. I've already written those guys down and nominated them myself. Thinking that I might not get a nomination from uh, somewhere else, and then on the other side, you know, uh, it's not like Coast Guard did nothing. Just, just to throw this out there, Coast Guard uh, backup quarterback John Resch came off the bench to throw uh, 34 for 46 passing for 469 yards and six touchdowns himself. Uh, Coast Guard had four guys over 100 yards receiving, and yet that is by far overshadowed uh, statistically.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a most bang for the buck type of game. You know, you, you went there, you saw a whole lot of offense. And Pat, I know you saw a, a whole lot of offense uh, elsewhere on uh, on Friday.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how many people stayed for the whole. Uh, let's see, we started at eight, and we actually ended on time at. Um, about 10:30 uh, so the, the whole 14 and a half hours of football at uh, the UMac Dome day played in the Hubert H, hum- Hubert H Humphrey Metrodome in Minneapolis on Friday uh, other than the, uh, the other people working there um, you know those who got there early and I did not get there early uh, I couldn't leave until uh, my daughter headed out for the bus stop so uh, I missed the first seven minutes of the McMurray Crown game which means I, I missed 21 points. And uh, uh, Mac Murray ended up getting his first win of the season, defeating Crown 68 to 62 in overtime. Uh, this is a, a game that was uh, close to the Division Three record for, for points in a single game. Um, that was the uh, the Brockport State Hartwick ECAC game a couple years ago, which was 70 to 68. Brockport uh, Hartwick beat Utica in quadruple overtime that year, 72 to 70. And if the, you know, this game had gone an extra overtime or so. Uh, we might have been uh, challenging that as well but uh, it was a uh, you know considering that it's a game that started at eight o'clock in the morning and uh, you know could have been a, a real snoozer for everybody it was a, it was a, a nice way to be to uh, kind of wake up and, and get into the and get into the day of football and I talked with uh, McMurray coach Jake box after the game about playing at 8 a.m
1: uh, we actually practice early, yeah. so we practice four classes, so it's actually not that bad. Um, and I've actually been here before with a, with another team, um, Southwest State, um, and the first game is the best time to play because you get to have your warm-up and you get to run around and there are some nerves and there are some uh, some excitement, so it's good to come out, let the nerves go, um, so we can play football.
0: You know, Keith, numbers all over the place in that game as well, but uh, uh, more impressively, I think, or... Ironic or coincidental or however you want to cover it, uh, followed immediately by a three nothing game.
1: Yeah, that's that's just hard to believe. Uh, the the Minnesota Morris uh, McAllister game coming right after that McMurray Crown game, and uh, yeah, you get a uh, hundred and thirty points uh, in the first game, and then you get three points in the in the following game. Just shows there's uh, there's there's many ways to win a football game.
0: And these teams were pretty competitively matched up too. You know, in the past. The UMAX Dome Day has been uh, set up because uh, the teams are in two separate divisions, and it's first place against first place, second against second, third and fourth, etc. Um, because you know the conference was rather late in coming together this year, the dissolution of the Sliac didn't happen until pretty deep into the off season. Not everybody's playing each other. Uh, they didn't. They just pre-matched uh, the teams against each other, but they matched them up really well. I mean, it, the, the the six point game, uh, the overtime game at the beginning. And then games were decided by three, one, one, and then the final game was divided, d- decided by six points again.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't do any better than that. And and for a day's worth of football, you know whether you took in all five games, as we suspect, few people probably have the time to do or you know if you stayed for you know the one game you had interest in and and the one after that you know you you got a couple of good games and and uh you know you've been to dome day a a bunch of times and and i've seen it it's uh you know it's a pretty nice day of football it would be it would be cool if it were possible i think in uh in some other divisions uh, across division three because it it really is a fun event
0: yeah there's not going to be anybody out of this conference that's going to make the playoffs this year uh, I was interested to see what Greenville looked like, and, and Greenville was pretty impressive. I, I like how they look. They're not a Pool B uh, factor this year. Uh, the 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 Pool B teams don't look any different this week than they did last week. Still looking at Wesley, Huntington, and uh, Case Western Reserve. Um, you know, but we haven't talked about uh, the poll, the top 25 poll. There's a there's a a mess and a jumble of teams, uh, a, kind of a bottleneck near the middle bottom of the top 25. But there's also a bunch of teams, Keith, who, um, you know, I, I think kind of I don't want sneak up on us necessarily because you know we've been thinking about school teams such as Lebanon Valley in past weeks uh, and maybe haven't necessarily talked about them but you know there's a you know you get to this point in the season you're, you're nine weeks in and, and you've got one loss um, it's kind of hard to ignore teams like that and I, I'm thinking uh, specifically I mentioned Lebanon Valley uh, I think you probably put a team like Co in that mix uh, someone like Allegheny. Uh, Springfield is in the regional rankings And they beat Ithaca this week So they're a, a significant Empire 8 title threat And then Susquehanna as well They're in control of their destiny for the conference title In the Liberty League
1: Right, and you know, Susquehanna is a two-loss team But I think in the case of these other four teams Lebanon Valley, Springfield, Allegheny, and Co You know, each of them You lose you know a marquee matchup Early or midway through the season Whether it be Co against Central Lebanon Valley against DelVal Springfield against Alfred, and uh, you know you lose you lose that big game and you fall off the map a little bit. Allegheny against against Wabash is the other one uh, we- we're thinking of. But you know you fall off the map a little bit when you're three and one and four and one, and-, and you had a chance to to make some noise by beating another good team, and then you didn't do it. You forget about them. And then all of a sudden you look up one day and and you're looking at the Pool C mix, and uh, yeah, Springfield's right in there, seven and one, Lebanon Valley. You know, is seven and one, and they they have a they have a chance to get in this three-way tie here, here in in the MAC. You know, Co, uh, you know, Central's already clinched that conference, but but Co, you have to consider them a uh, one of the top pool C contenders, and uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Susquehanna, I think, is a team that we didn't. You know, we we saw them come in a little bit. We said, uh, I remember specifically from kickoff that you know it's their last season in, in the Liberty League, and they they may have something to say about how uh, how it all plays out. But you know, to see them sitting here uh, at six and two, one loss in the in the Liberty League, with uh, a chance to play Union, uh, in uh, go to Union in week eleven, you know, with with potentially the, the the league championship on the line, you know, that's that's exciting stuff for a team that hasn't had a lot of success lately.
0: And for Allegheny, uh, they you know they still have uh, some say in their own destiny. I guess I'm not going to try to break down the North Coast three-way tiebreaker, but um, you know Allegheny goes to Wittenberg on Saturday. And Wittenberg leads the conference at five and zero in the league, and Allegheny is at four and one. Allegheny already lost to Wabash. I was there for that game. Allegheny didn't actually look very good. They lost thirty-seven to three, and that score is fairly indicative of how it was played. But you know um, Wittenberg. Um yeah, Wittenberg hasn't allowed points to basically anybody this season, but uh you know they if if they don't score a lot of points and Allegheny hangs around, you know, who the heck knows? Anybody can win a seven a, nothing a or a seven three or a ten seven game in my mind.
1: Oh absolutely. And you know, two more teams that, that we haven't talked a lot about only because they've been overshadowed by the two more prominent teams uh, in their conference, uh, at least until this Saturday, were uh, were Cal Lutheran in the Skyac and uh, and in uh, the CCIW, Illinois Wesleyan, and they both had impressive wins on Saturday.
0: Yeah, Illinois Wesleyan was kind of edging its way onto the radar earlier in the season, and then they lost at home to Milliken, which was a, a you know a a real puzzling result. Didn't really know what to make of them. Cal Lutheran, you know, they've been Good to you know, uh, whatever would be the next level above good for for a, for a few years now. Um, they haven't haven't quite okay yeah they haven't quite gotten over the hump. Uh, you know, but they did a, they went a real big step towards getting over the hump, and they have to finish it off against Redlands.
1: Yeah, and remember, Redlands, of course, you know that devastating loss against Occidental. You know they're they're itching for a chance to get to get back into two against Cal Lutheran. So that's going to be a, a a huge game in in week eleven. And and you're right, Pat. You know you you mentioned Cal Lutheran as a team that's been a factor for you know three four seasons now. But they're that that six win team. You know maybe seven wins out of the, out of the Sky Act. But they're, they're clearly the, the number three team. Uh, I think in our mind, most years, uh, behind Occidental and Redlands. And, uh, you know, the way you get that respect to get up in, in the stratosphere with the, the top teams in your conference is, is to beat them. And, uh, you know, Cal Lutheran 24-14 on Saturday at Occidental. And, uh, and they get to, uh, they get to host Redlands too in, in week 11. So, you know, it, it'll be fun. We may see some new faces here in, uh, in the playoffs this season.
0: Cal Lutheran's one loss this year was early in the season to Willamette, just for, uh, for those of you who are who are wondering. Uh, that was a 20-13 uh, to 13 game, which was, uh, of course, it was Cal Lutheran's opener. It was at Willamette, and it was Willamette's second game of the season. And, uh, you know, we all know uh, how those things uh, might happen. Um, you know, uh, Keith, there's uh, one other kind of conference jumble we haven't talked about. Um, because it doesn't really fit the the mold of any of the other things we've been talking about. So here's the mess at the top of the centennial. What do we do with it?
1: Well, you know, we just sit back and watch it play out, I guess, <laughs> because, uh, right, you know, you had a chance. Rem- remember, going into to this week, uh, have a four-way tie at the top of that conference. And, uh, you know, we re- we reviewed it. We looked back uh, in around the nation early in the season. Centennial Conference has been home to some of the, some of your crazier races uh, of the, of the past ten seasons, and uh, looking like they had another one on their hands until uh, Moravian sort of came out of nowhere beat Ursinus twenty to nineteen, and that left us with a three-way tie at the top of that conference. Um, each team: Dickinson, Franklin, and Marshall, and uh, Johns Hopkins, five and one. Uh, in Centennial Games Dickinson beat Franklin and Marshall uh earlier in the season 45-43 and then we have uh F&M playing Johns Hopkins this week here in week 10 and uh doesn't there's no there's not a three-way potential there because uh because Hopkins has already lost to Arsinus so uh and they'll start to sort it out but uh but it may go right down to the wire here in week 11
0: at least it probably won't be a five-way tie
1: Probably, but, you, but you know, two weeks left. If any conference could do it, you know, the Centennial would be the one.
0: All right, Keith, we have uh, two weeks left to play. Selection Sunday is Sunday, November 15th. We do not have details on uh, where uh, Selection Sunday will be aired and at what time uh, if the selections are indeed on one of the ESPN uh, networks as they have been for the past five years. Uh, keep an eye on the front page of D3Football.com when we know Uh, We'll certainly tell you because I'm sure you want to know when you're going to find out who's in and who's out of the playoffs. Um, Coming up uh, later in the week, of course, all the regular uh, departments we usually have throughout the course of a a Division III football week. Keep an eye out for the new regional rankings on Wednesday afternoon. And Keith, uh, what are you writing about in Around the Nation this week?
1: Well, you know, it's been sort of a banner season for uh, for Division Three players uh, in the NFL. You know, when, when you talk about their contributions, pretty much uh, across the board. You know, so many so many names that we're familiar with are uh, you know we're from Saturdays. We're hearing them on Sunday now. Whether it be uh, Pierre Garcon with the Colts or uh, or Jason Trusnick getting traded from New York back to back to Ohio. He, he's in uh, Cleveland. Now, uh part of that big Braylon Edwards trade, you know, Jeremy Irvin in uh in Arizona. So many players um in division three making an impact in the NFL. So that's that's the plan this week to uh to see what it's like to be a uh to come from a small school and uh and make an impact on uh on the big level on Sundays.
0: And a good time for it, too, because although uh, the Browns lost and lost handily to the Chicago Bears on Sunday, Jason Tresnick did lead the Browns in tackles, eight tackles, seven solo, including a sack. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, wrapping up the Around the Nation podcast for this week.